Welcome to This Week in IT. Your hosts are Lang Maith and Andre Forte. This program will discuss the business of information technology, business development, current events, new products, and more. Now, here are your hosts of This Week in IT, Lang Maith and Andre Forte. Good evening, good evening. Thanks for joining us today. I'm your host, Andre Forte, here with my host as well, Lang Maith. How you doing today, Lang? How you doing? Doing pretty good. How about yourself? Great, great. Can't complain. I think today we're going to have a really good show. Looking forward to having our guests here today. Today we'll be joined by Mr. Robert Zhao. He's recognized as a Qualcomm Innovation Fellow and Julie Payette Insert Research Scholar. His, uh, he has a host of accomplishments, and he'll be starting as an assistant professor in the Department of Computer Science at the University of British Columbia later this year. He, uh, he utilizes his background in computer science and mathematics to craft inter- interactive technologies driven by sensors, machine learning, and computer vision. Some of these technologies range from improving touchscreen input to novel motion tracking systems, on-world projected interfaces, and so much more as well. So uh, with no further ado, let's go ahead and welcome on to the show, Robert Zell. Thank you, sir, for thank- for joining us today. Hi. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I just had a, a just to start off, um, Robert, I had something that I, I've read about you, that uh, you routinely compete, you compete in the DEF CON, and that you actually won first place several times. Is that correct? Yes. Yes. Uh, yeah, I've, I've recently started to play in DEF CON CTS to capture the flag competition. That's the uh, most prestigious security competition in the world um, currently. And uh, together with my teammates uh, from Carnegie Mellon University, um, uh, we have won the competition uh, several times in the last few years. Uh, in fact, four times out of the last five years, if I'm counting correctly. So um, it's, been, it's been quite a whirlwind. That's awesome, man. Um, yeah, are they just out of curiosity? Any other security contests that uh, you, you guys have routinely competed in? Yeah, well, uh, so you know, we've been we've been participating in uh, in uh, contests around the world. So we've uh, we recently competed in uh, competitions in uh, Korea, in Japan, um, you know, in a competition actually that I competed in in uh, in Cambridge, UK, um, where I placed first uh, individually. Uh, in a field of uh, about 100 contestants, so that was that was a lot of fun. We we do security contests. Uh, these are really hacking competitions. You know, they're competitions to see who can literally outhack somebody else uh, in terms of you know attacking uh, computers, defending your own, and uh, generally sort of um, uh, trying to maintain uh, a security posture. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. So at some of these events, what are some of the attendees? Uh, yeah, so. At DEFCON, for example, what, 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 what you get is actually you get a, you get a server, you know, they, they, they hand you a server and they tell you, hey, um, you know, everybody is going to have the same set of services running. So, you know, they might have like an FTP server or some other su- stuff, all that have various kinds of security vulnerabilities in them. And it's your job to go in, find the security vulnerabilities and fix them before the other contestants are able to exploit you on them. Uh, and of course, at the same time, you're trying to find those bugs so that you can exploit other competitors in uh, in the system, um, and then you know gain access to their systems. So it's a very, very frenetic sort of attack defense where you're constantly working to try to fend off other people's attacks while making your own attacks against other people. Um, and uh, in DEFCON, there's usually around 12, t- 12 teams basically computing nonstop over the course of 72 hours um, to see who you know, is the best hackers, basically. So, it's, yeah, it, it's, you, it's very fast-paced. 
sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, are you allowed to use third-party tools? Or are you allowed to have your own toolkit? Or is it strictly, you uh, know, you, you use what they provide? Uh, you can. Um, although last year what they actually did is uh, they, they came up with their own custom computer design. Uh, and so this is their mm. own custom, you know, CPU, their own custom, um, you know, uh, uh, programming architecture. Uh, so that you, you couldn't use any tools that already existed. You actually had to build your own. And we had 24 hours to build all the tools we needed. Analysis tools, wow. decompilation tools, reverse engineering tools, network analysis tools, because they had a custom network thing. It was crazy. Mm -hmm. yeah. So la last year, they really pulled out all the stops. Um, usually, they're using more conventional computer architectures. But, you know, we still won last year, which shows you, you know, we're a very flexible team. Uh, I, I, you know, I've had a lot of fun playing with these folks and a lot of fun sort of, uh, you know, being a core member of the team. I'm surprised a lot of agencies aren't secretly there watching to see who won and trying to recruit they, them. They, they are, actually. Um, you know, last year, uh, you know, after we won, we got a special private session with, uh, with uh, a member of the NSA, actually. Um, so uh. this, this is, they are watching. They are definitely um, recruiting at these events. I, it's yeah, I was going to say, Big I've Brother's actually, always watching. Yeah, I know. Yeah, well, speaking of which, I've actually participated in a competition called the NSA Codebreaker Challenge uh, twice now. Um, and, uh, and this challenge is basically to see who can break a series of, of codes. And those codes also involve uh, a lot of programming knowledge. Uh, and so they're, they're, very, they're fairly challenging. Sort of, um, it requires some knowledge of cryptography, require knowledge of computer security, uh, and so on. Uh, and uh, and last year I actually was the fastest person in the U.S. to solve uh, all the challenges. Yeah. So that being said, I mean, if they're throwing you different um, programs to pretty much manipulate the syntax, is it is that uniform as well, or are they giving one team Perl, another team you know Ajax, another team Java? <laughs> every every team will get the same in in DefCon, for example. Uh, going back to DefCon, every team will get the same set of of, of services. Uh, so you're all going okay. to get, you know, a web server and it's going to be the same web server program. But one of the things that they, they will do is you don't get the source code for any of this stuff. You only get the binaries, the compiled versions of the code. And so your That's job it? is to actually go in and re reverse engineer them um, first, you know, to actually, you have to be wow. able to read assembly pretty fluently. You have to be able to, um, to understand and reverse engineer the logic of the program, the structure of the program, and try to figure out mm -hmm. where in the program there might, you know, that there might be some bugs that you can make use of, exploit. I wouldn't mind going to that. <laughs> You're not both. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, they, they never give you source code. That's too easy. <laughs> <laughs> right. You know, it's, like, it's like the real world. You know, a lot of the programs, you don't get source code. You, sometimes you don't even get to see what you're, you're attacking, you know, like a web service. Um, you don't even get to see what you're attacking. You, you, you have to just go in kind of blind and uh, use, you know, uh, stores of intuition and heaps of sort of um, good luck in some sense. You know, so there's a lot mm -hmm. of intuition. There's a lot of luck. There's a lot of sort of um, probing around and just trying lots of stuff, uh, it, it, you know, in, in that kind of security. It sounds kind of random, but a lot of it's fairly principled. You know, you, if you've done a lot of this, like I have, you know, it, you kind of get to see some patterns and you kind of know where uh, bugs are likely to be. So you know what to try. Right. That's perfect. So aside from that, I, I guess you could say, so were you using um, port sniffers or other, uh, I guess you could say, 
type of devices in terms of equipment. So I'm pretty sure it's got to be more than just the actual, you know, programming language. I'm pretty sure there's equipment involved as well. Are they using, you know, Junipers or Sonic Walls and Cisco's? Um, so we normally we don't really work so much with firewalls. That's more of a defensive. That's well, uh, certainly sometimes we'll have to deal with web application firewalls. Um, uh, you know, uh, sometimes we will be doing things like uh, like uh, firewall technologies. A lot of times, what we're actually looking at is the the programs themselves, reverse engineering the programs themselves. So this is using disassemblers, decompilers, debuggers. Um, you know, uh, to inspect, analyze, and understand a target program so that you understand what's going on. And then uh, from that, you know, using um, uh, good old sort of programming tools, scripting to build exploits, to build uh, a program that will successfully take advantage of a bug and deliver you a victory. Ah, okay. So this is at the application layer. So you're using like command lines. Mm -hmm. Netstat, Avon, and A-ports and things like that. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's, 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 it's a sort of the, the most primitive, the most primal version of this kind of <laughs> hacking stuff. Yeah, yeah. Really, you're, you're, I mean, we're developing, we're literally, you know, devising the payloads, the bytes that get sent over the wire. We're sweating over all these little details, like exactly what gets sent, how that interacts with a target service, how that actually in machine instructions, is interacting with the with the program's logic flow state, et cetera, uh, and and uh, analyzing that to do, to determine whether where we can make that go wrong, and where we can make things uh, make you know uh, a change basically to to take control of a program. So to actually participate in this type of event, I mean, is it like special invitation only, or do you have to register? Yeah, I mean. Uh, DEFCON CTF, uh, actually most of the events I've talked about so far, uh, DEFCON primarily being, being the big one, is an invitation-only uh, competition. You have to prove yourself in a series of qualifying rounds that happened pr- uh, previ- you know, prior to mm. the actual event. Uh, and they it's only invite like a, tournament. a number of teams. Yeah, it's a tournament. You know, so there's an open invitation qualification round, and only the top teams from that qualification round get to actually play in DEFCON. So you have to, you have to prove yourself first. So is this some type of scoring structure? Uh, it's it's not so much a tournament as it is sort of a big. It, yeah, it's yeah, I guess it's kind of a tournament. You know, you have to like uh, you know, you compete against other teams. Uh, you have to race the clock. There's sort of a 20, 40, 48 hour deadline to try to hack as much stuff mm-hmm. as you can as a team to try to get to the top of the leaderboard. And then once you're once you know if you're one of the top teams, then you get invited to uh, one of the sort of final rounds. So it's just a tournament. So to speak, is this nationwide or is it global? It's global, yeah, all over the world. Oh wow! So yeah. approximately about and, how many teams actually come to participate, and, yeah, so, and about uh, how large are the teams? DefCon is DefCon is about uh, is 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 twelve historically been twelve teams, um, and they're from all over the world. So you know you get teams from Korea, you get teams from you know Russia, Poland, China. Um, Taiwan, uh, you know, France, etc., like countries from all over the world, and uh, they're all going to be competing, you know, in this competition. And uh, team sizes uh, are unlimited. You can bring as many people or as, as few people as you as, as you want. Some in in past years, some teams have brought as many as eighty people to this competition. Oh, wow. So you do that's unfair. You do really big teams. <laughs> yeah, but but the thing is, you know, it, it really does boil down to and. Uh, 
it really does boil down to actually having a few really good people. And that's what, that's, that's, I think, where we really shine. So we, we regularly compete against teams that are much larger than, you know, in terms of just sheer numbers than our, than our team. Got you. <laughs> that's funny. So out of curiosity, do you have sponsorships for these uh, tournaments? Uh, we actually use our tournament winnings um, from other. We, we get money from winning these tournaments, uh, and so we can use those those winnings to actually sponsor ourselves to go and fly out to other uh, contests. Um, you know, just over the last couple of years uh, at, at competitions, we've won probably about a hundred, hundred, hundred fifty thousand dollars in prize money. Um, plus, uh, we do get sponsored um, from a few security companies as well to do you know the kind of activities that we do. Yeah, because I would imagine winning those tournaments will actually open up doors to kind of be like consultants for a lot of these security companies. Oh, and, and even security and, agencies, uh, security-based yeah, government well, agencies security as well. That's for sure, you know. Well, you know, we've had people, we've had people, people intern, uh, you know, with various agencies, with various companies. Um, you know, we, we're actually, our, our team at Carnegie Mellon University is a, is a university team. It's uh, solely composed of students or ex-students, as it were, alumni. Um, and, and yeah, so definitely lots of opportunities for people to get involved. Um, so this is, this is sort of, you know, this is my computer security hobby. This is what I really like to do. I, I like to, uh, uh, you know, explore sort of this, this, this aspect of, uh, of, of computer programming, of computer uh, architecture, security, uh, to understand it better and to sort of keep my skill set sharp, uh, in, right. you know, in a way. It's a hobby, you know. It's a right. pretty productive hobby. <laughs> <laughs> so I tell you what we're going to do. We're actually going to roll a commercial, and we'll be right back after a few commercials. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Are you looking to build, enhance, or revamp your current IT infrastructure? If so... That's where MallLobby.com comes in. Whether you need virtualization, systems administration, networking, storage, cybersecurity, cloud, disaster recovery, to even manage services, just submit your project details via email to broadcast at MallLobby.com so we know this opportunity is from one of our listeners. For your IT consulting, staffing, and architectural needs, rely on MallLobby.com. Incorporated. Visit online at MallLobby.com. You hear about it all the time. Compromises, destructive malware, major breaches. You can't turn on the news without hearing about the latest cyber event. Learn more about cybersecurity, how it has become one of the most significant threats to our national security, and the battle experts undergo every day on your behalf to protect you, your families, and your data. Task Force 7 Radio with host George Redis is the voice of cybersecurity around the world. Tune in live every Monday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific on The Voice America. America Business Channel. We hear it and read about it every day in the news. America is heading over a fiscal cliff. Home prices are still receding and unemployment growing. How can you preserve and increase your wealth in this kind of economy? Tune in to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with host Jay Taylor. Jay will explain the decline of our monetary system and the economy and will give you winning investment ideas and the tools to protect and increase your wealth. Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor can be heard Tuesdays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. 
Are you a business innovator or are you just sitting on the sidelines? Tune in every week for Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Host Bonnie D. Graham talks to a cross-section of the movers and shakers who are leading by example. They will share best practices and innovative ideas to keep you thinking and moving along with the best. Join us for Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP, Wednesday mornings at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Voice America Business Network. The bottom line in business. You are listening to This Week in IT. To reach the program, please call 1 866 472 5790. That's 1 866 472 5790. If you'd rather leave a question or comment via email, send it to broadcast at mulllobby.com. Now back to This Week in IT. Uh, thanks for joining us again. Um, if you are just now joining us, we are uh, joined by our guest, Robert Zhao, um, who is working on a lot of interesting stuff and has participated, as uh, you may have heard in the previous segment, um, in DEF CON comp- uh, security competitions as well as a host of others. Um, so uh, just getting back into uh, the conversation, um, Robert, I, I wanted to I wanted to pick up on more of some of the security stuff that you're working on. And I've seen uh, that a project in particular is Location Smart. Is that correct? Can you elaborate on that? Um, just uh, a couple of weeks ago sort of uh, was a big news item when it happened. Um, so uh, it turns out that there's this company called Location Smart um, that has uh, access to the location information for pretty much any American with a cell phone. The real-time, you know, down to sort of the city block accuracy uh, position information for everybody. Um, and this company sells this to, you know, to uh, third parties, to, um, for, you know, law enforcement purposes and for marketing purposes. Um, so that, for example, you know, if you get, if you're like sitting in a hospital, it can push you information about uh, drug treatments, or if you're sitting sort of um, in, uh, you know, in a business or some, you know, in like a restaurant, they can give you some recommendations, et cetera. Um, basically, Location Smart had a bug on their website, which made it actually possible for me to access that database of location information without any sort of consent from the users to be tracked whatsoever. And so this is, this is you know, this is understandably sort of a big bug, right? This is let me Absolutely. essentially punch in any 10-digit cell phone number in the U.S. and get to, you know, to the minute, to the city block where that person was at that exact moment um, uh, without that person ever knowing that I was tracking them. And this is, and this is without a court order, correct? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, um, the, 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 the thing is essentially this company had access to all this location data and they were just very poorly securing it. Um, you know, uh, in a way that made it really easy for anybody to have access to this information. Um, and uh, so I disclosed this bug, uh, and it sort of launched a really big, big firestorm. Actually, a lot of lot of news articles picked up on it. You know, hey, look, there's this company that's just tracking your your location and giving it to anyone who asks. Um, and uh, and you know, as a result, uh, hopefully, you know, there'll, there'll be some changes. But I'm when I found it, I was really quite floored that you could have a company that had access to this information in the first place, you know, and who would protect it so poorly. Right. And, and, and this event, so 
what's the legal, I guess you could say, recourse? Well, you know, here's the thing. Your cell phone is constantly being pinged by the cell towers in order to right. give you cell, access, you know, cell cellular access. Um, and those cell towers know where they are, and so they can figure out where you are by mm-hmm. triangulation, mm-hmm. Right? right? It's simple math, and it doesn't require your cell phone to actually participate in this process. Um, the cell towers can just do it without your consent. Um, what's True. going on is essentially the, the wireless carriers, that's Verizon, Sprint, T-Mobile, AT&T, they're mm-hmm. taking that location information, and then they're selling it downstream to companies like LocationSmart, um, as a way of earning extra money, essentially, on you. They're selling your data. They're selling your location information. Um, and, uh, and what this basically means is that your phone is constantly being tracked. Your location of your phone is constantly being tracked. And, you know, who knows how many people have access to that information right now. Uh, right. And... You know, finding this bug is sort of just the, the tip of the iceberg. It's sort of saying, hey, there's this bug that let me have access to it, but like, why, do I, why is it possible to have access to that information in the first place? Why isn't this information being protected heavily by you know, the four major carriers? So it seems like now it's cell phones for profit. Yeah, well, you know, anything to make a buck, right? I mean, these companies, right. uh, you know, you pay a a big monthly fee, but then they take that, you know, they, instead of just giving you the service they ask for, they're trying to monetize your service even more by, you know, monetizing you, your data. That's, you know, that's sort of what's going on here. So is there any other uh, essential information that is being passed along aside from just your location and um, uh, other information regarding just your, your phone itself? Is there anything else? You can sound like mean, the whole it, subscriber, it, subscriber information is being in sold. Past, right. In the past, it's been fairly, it's, it's been, it's been uh, disclosed and it's actually fairly to do, easy to do. It, it, you know, previous uh, exposés on the subject have revealed that uh, there are companies with access to your subscriber information. So your name, uh-huh. the name that appears on your bill, you know, uh-huh. uh, and the information about um, sort of, uh, you know, your, your subscription information. Um, which is also pretty private information, honestly, right? You know, having that, Absolutely. being able to tie that back to a cell phone is pretty major. Now, you can get away from that aspect by having something like a prepaid cell phone, right? Um, right. But you can't get away from the loca- location tracking. If I know your cell phone number, I can, you know, you. It, it would be possible to track that location. And, and again, you have no idea and you have no way of opting out of this short of literally turning your phone off and throwing it away. And this this technology also works um, even if the, the the only way that you can pretty much avoid this is by pulling the battery out of a phone that does have a battery, correct? That, because most of these phones, yeah. most of these smartphones uh, I mean, now are going to the point where they don't have batteries for this purpose, correct? Yeah, I mean you can you, you can you can turn on you can turn on uh, airplane mode, but then you know you have to basically live without cell service. Uh, and it, at that point, you know, you should just buy like an iPod Touch or something, right? Because your phone's about Pretty as much. <laughs> minus the cell service is about as, as useful as that. Um, and, and really, this speaks to basically the fact that we've gotten into a weird era where, like, you know, you can have and where, where essentially, you know, you haven't consented to any of this. You haven't said, "Hey, I want anybody who." has access to this, uh, this data or, you know, who pays enough money to location smart or whatever to know where I am. 
But so you haven't like opted into any of that stuff. So it sounds like we need an update to the FCC regulations. <laughs> oh, I, I, I certainly, I certainly wish. Yeah. And, you know, it's like, well, you know, can we, can we do that in the current political climate? I don't know. Right. Is the FCC right. currently well equipped to do that? I don't know. I do know that in the wake of the bug, uh, you know, the disclosure of this bug, the FCC opened an investigation into location smart uh, and simultaneously FTC has been doing so as well. So the FTC is looking into the matter. Um, so there's two sort of federal agencies that are now looking into this. Hopefully there'll be some sort of response, but you know how fast these agencies move when they do. <laughs> Here's the scary so part. It might be a at least for me. time before we see it. Anymore. Looking at the website, they're still up and running. So are they, yeah. you know, hit with a cease and desist or are they going to be driven now, out of business? So the, well, the website's still running. The bug's gone. You know, I, we, we responsibly disclosed the bug to LocationSmart and they promptly shut everything down. Um, mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, the... The, the fact remains that this information was accessible. And so, so the bug itself, you know, is, it, it, it's, it's pretty straightforward. You know, they had this website previously, it's gone now, where you could test out their service. Um, you could punch in your own phone number and they would phone you or they would sort of send you a text message and they'd say, hey, do you consent to tracking your location for trial purposes? And if you responded, then they'd tell you your, 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 your real-time location. Now, the bug was, very simply, that... Uh, their system didn't actually check properly that the consent was, was received. And so you could just punch in someone else's number, trick the system to thinking that that person had already given consent when they didn't, and you would just get the location. And that person just would not make a phone call. They wouldn't receive an SMS. You know, they, they would just get invisibly tracked. Wow. And I'm pretty sure there are other companies out here doing the same thing. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, because... It's normally a, a chain, so it probably goes from the cell phone carriers to location smart, and they probably have their subcontractors and companies that they sell it to. They've got lots of customers. Yeah, you're not the customer, right? You, you know, right. Nope. every day you're people who own cell phones are not the customer. It's <laughs> other people who want access to location information that are the customers. And who knows who at those companies could have access to this information. It might just be, you know some random guy just going, okay, uh, I'd like to look up some random phone numbers location. And, you, you know, you have no idea. The scary part is who are the owners mm-hmm. of this data? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> and, you know, this, this all broke in the wake of, a, of, of another investigation from a separate company, another company called Securus. And so this is, this is a big web of stuff. Securus buys their location information from Location Smart and then sells it to law enforcement. And it turned out that some some sheriff somewhere, uh, you know, had access to this information, just looked up people's locations um, for fun or for sort of his own personal purposes, you know, not for law enforcement reasons. But he had access to information because it was just being sold down the river from uh, by uh, by uh, location smart to securist to from securist to the law enforcement agency and the law enforcement agency. Then, you know, the sheriff sort of having access to that information. And so when that broke, that sort of started to suggest that really our location data is just, it's just being resold and resold and resold uh, willy-nilly, and there's just zero oversight on this. And you can imagine just how scary it would be for somebody to have access to your cell phone uh, location information at all times. You know, as one of my tests, I, I had a friend in Hawaii. I punched in his information. I could watch him driving around the island. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Robert. We're we're going to have Robert. I'm sorry. We're going to have to go to commercial break. Um, We'll pick up and let you finish that story when we return back again. Oh yeah, yeah, sure, sure, no problem. This is it.
This is This Week in IT, um, and we'll be uh, right back after uh, these uh, commercial break. Thank you. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. Are you looking to build, enhance, or revamp your current IT infrastructure? If so, that's where malllobby.com comes in. Whether you need virtualization, systems administration, networking, storage, cybersecurity, cloud, disaster recovery, to even manage services, just submit your project details via email to broadcast at malllobby.com so we know this opportunity is from one of our listeners. For your IT consulting, staffing, and architectural needs, rely on malllobby.com. Incorporated. Visit online at malllobby.com. How is your business running? It should be running smoothly with nary a hiccup, like a finely tuned machine. But if you're like most businesses, yours may be running nowhere close to that. Listen for Operationally Speaking with your host, Serju Samel. Our program will help you to run your entrepreneurial business easier, better, with less frustration. And by running it well, you're sure to be poised for faster growth. Tune in every Friday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time and 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Are you a business innovator or are you just sitting on the sidelines? Tune in every week for Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Host Bonnie D. Graham talks to a cross-section of the movers and shakers who are leading by example. They will share best practices and innovative ideas to keep you thinking and moving along with the best. Join us for Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP, Wednesday mornings at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to This Week in IT. To reach the program, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. If you'd rather leave a question or comment via email, send it to broadcast at mulllobby.com. Now back to This Week in IT. Uh, thanks for joining us. If you're just joining us, uh, we are talking, uh, having a great conversation here with Robert Zhao. Um, Robert has uh, been working extensively on a lot of different security uh, projects. And um, before we proceed uh, and, and get further into some of your research and development projects, um, Robert, I would like for you to um, give you the opportunity to finish the story that you started uh, speaking about before we uh, went to a commercial break. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, you know, like, like I said, um, it, you, you kind of think about this. Location Smart is this company that has access to your real-time phone locations. And I, I found this bug that let you uh, be able to access anyone's location just by punching in a 10-digit phone number. And you can just imagine how scary it is to you know, have that ability, essentially, right? To discover that you can, you can have access to this information and to think about the implication of this. What if somebody bad got access to that information? What if some nefarious mm-hmm. actor, uh, you know, a jilted ex, uh, you know, a, 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 somebody who wants to rob you, uh, you know, um, well, big brother, I guess, right? You know, has access mm-hmm. to this kind of information mm-hmm. without you knowing about it. And 
you know, to check up on your information, even if, you, if there's no warrant, no cause, no, no whatever, right? That, that location information should not be so publicly available. I, uh, you know, as I, as I was saying, you know, I, when I first discovered the bug, I had, um, uh, you know, I tested it on a friend and, you know, that friend was driving around Hawaii. I could actually watch him in his car, basically driving and the exact location where he was and where he was stopping and all that stuff. It was crazy. It was, it, you know, and I'm, and I was just totally floored that that information could just be so freely given without any sort of consent whatsoever. So we are kind of in a weird yeah. tracking dystopia world now, huh? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that that the thought alone is just scary. Just some before we, before we transition on, just a quick question about uh, all of this as well. Have you worked on anything? Have you seen anything where? Because um, I've heard about these things as well, where you can actually change, um, you can change your smartphone into listening devices. So, have you worked on anything within these companies where they are actually turning the speakers onto the smartphones into listening devices as well? And the cameras. And oh, cameras. I'm sorry. Uh, exactly, cameras and videos and all. It's this. it's pretty well known um, that you know uh, if you're running uh, an older version of your of your operating system software, no matter if you're on a computer or on a smartphone that a, a, an, an attacker could take control of your smartphone um, mm-hmm. and then turn it into a listening device. Uh, smartphones are a great target for an attacker because they can turn them on, they can turn on all your cameras, all your, all your microphones, and they can just sit, them, sit there and listen to everything that's happening around you in the background. And that's really a frightening idea. Now, of course, this requires you to compromise the individual um, smartphone in question. Um, you know, previous versions of every major operating system have had bugs that make it possible for an attacker to get in this way. Um, and there have been sort of demonstrated bad applications, too, on, you know, different kind of app stores that you download, and it's, it's like a screensaver app or something, but really in the background, it's like listening to you and downloading all your conversations. So these are, mm-hmm. these are real concerns, certainly. These are real security concerns. And so it really, it, it's really important to stay up to date uh, you know, in terms of software to make sure you always have the latest version of the system software. Um, you know, it's especially important to make sure that you're staying vigilant, not clicking on any weird links, you know, and still ways to stay safe on the internet. Um, they still hold very much true in the smartphone era and even more so because, you know, if your smartphone gets compromised, you're going to lose your digital life. A lot of people, right? You know, so that, I was going yeah. to say that even if you're doing safe interneting, it seems like you surrender your rights with a lot of these smartphone applications now, because after you install them, they ask you, do we have access to your contacts, your phone logs, photos? Oh yeah, no, absolutely. That's what, you know, like your, your, if your, if your smartphone is compromised, you, you lose all privacy. So it's certainly, it's very important to keep your smartphone safe and, 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 uh, and reasonably secure. Right. Um, and, and that means, you know, you should set a good pin, right? You should, you, should, uh, you should make sure that your operating system is up to date. You should make sure that your phone is relatively recent. Um, older phones may not get the security updates that they need, and uh, that is a problem. You know, if, you, if your phone is sufficiently out of date that it's no longer getting any security updates, it might be time to look into getting a new phone. Good deal, good deal. Okay, transitioning uh, into some of the projects that you're working on, what, what are some of the key projects and uh, develop uh, research that you're currently uh, under underway for you right now? Yeah, so uh, I, I've, 
actually just successfully defended my PhD as of, uh, of, of a couple of weeks ago. Um, and uh, yeah, yeah it, it's sort of big, big, big event for me. And, um, <laughs> you know, I've been working actually a lot on uh, different kind of interaction technology. And so it's really funny, you know, talking about sort of the first half of this when I was talking about computer security, my sort of day-to-day research is very different. It's, uh, it's on building human-computer interfaces, interaction technologies um, that empower people and make it possible to interact with computers in a richer and more meaningful ways. So let me give you an example. Um, a lot of my recent research, and actually the subject of my PhD thesis, was this idea of being able to actually project interfaces directly onto your environment. So instead of having a touch screen on your phone or uh, you know, on uh, a touchpad on a laptop or whatever, you're putting these touch screen interfaces directly projected out onto any surface in your world. Um, and you know you can just reach out and sort of have a, you know turn your table into a big touch screen, turn your kitchen countertop, your walls, your furniture, whatever. Um, it was like a hologram. And yeah, and and doing this with with hardware that's actually reasonable. So it's, you know actually trying to miniaturize the projectors so they they're small and compact, and miniaturizing the computation so it's small and compact, and making sure that it, it it's something that you could actually feasibly put into a, a home environment. Uh, and so now I've actually built essentially a um, a, a light bulb sized computer uh, with a built in projector and sensor that, that that basically you can plug in and you know turn a surface into a touch screen. Anything in the environment. What are some of the best hmm. surfaces that you've seen so far? Yeah, so uh, you know this is like. Uh, we used to think about desk. We call, talk about like computer desktops, right? Well, a computer mm-hmm. desktop is—it's sort of this artificial representation of this desktop that we actually used to have before we had computers sitting on them. And so you can go back to that now with the sort of technology that I've developed, uh, and you can have a digital desktop, something with the ability to put your digital content, your email, your calendar on your physical desk, and inter- interact with it between it and sort of the physical stuff that's sitting on your desk as well. So have that merge essentially the digital world of your, your virtual calendar, your email, whatever, with the physical world of like your, your, uh, the, the regular stuff that's on your desk, you know, your, your um, mugs, knickknacks, books, whatever. Uh, and, and so this is sort of kind of like a projection technology that's putting these touchscreen interfaces on your environment that's turning uh, your services interactive that's uh, sort of trying to break a lot of the um, uh, br- break basically computing out of its little shell essentially and put it out onto the world around us. This has been kind of the vision of computing that's been promoted to us for decades in sci-fi but it hasn't come to fruition yet and I'm really trying to make that happen. It's art imitating life. Yeah, yeah kind of. <laughs> yeah. In, in this case, That's it's kind of life imitating art. You know, this is a lot. A lot of this is inspired by science fiction, but you know, science fiction, you all do it up, you gin it up with special effects. I want to do it for real. Right. Yeah. Are any of these um, research projects tied into anything in the medical field? Certainly. I mean, uh, there's a lot of applications to the medical field. Um, augmenting the environment uh, certainly has a lot of uh, uses. For one, uh, you know, you don't have to worry about things getting dirty, right? If it's just a regular surface. You can be putting touch screens and people can be touching those with whatever they, you know, whatever they're wearing, I guess, gloves, whatever, uh, and not worry about things getting dirty. You could be putting, and because it's, 
we're not the digital interface isn't there. The the sort of the, the physical components of the digital interface aren't there. They're being projected. And so you can project on top of anything without worrying about hygienic problems. So that in a hospital setting that would be useful. For teaching, right? Something that you allow you to have a much larger canvas on which to view important information like uh, medical imagery, for example, right? Being able to lay that out on a table and actually work with it like that rather than having to, you know, interact with a computer to achieve the same result or interact with a smaller computer interface. Um, so there's certainly a lot of sort of healthcare applications for this, uh, certainly, yeah. Are you allowed to go in depth speaking about CapCam? Uh, yeah, okay. So, yeah, let's talk about uh, CapCam is, a, is, a, is another project. I've got a lot of projects. We can, we can sort of go through them. Um, uh, so CapCam is this, uh, is, this, is this idea that I can, um, that right now it's really painful to pair a smartphone with a large TV screen. And, uh, mm-hmm. and so what you really have to do is, you know, you have to, like, turn on Bluetooth on both of them or something, and then, you know, find the Bluetooth number, approach a pin code. And the idea behind CapCam is that it should be much easier to pair these kind of devices together. This is also fitting in the same view of trying to get, you know, computers to work with each other or sort of trying to put interfaces in, you know, that are working together more harmoniously. In this case, it's a smartphone trying to pair with a big screen, right? Like a big TV, think like a big TV. Uh, and so what, with, with CapCam, what you do is you put this, the phone right on top of the screen, and the screen will actually flash a code directly into the phone's camera that tells it how to connect. And so um, within just like half a second, you know, they can connect to each other, and they establish a connection, and off you go, without having to fiddle with Bluetooth or Wi-Fi or any sort of weird settings like that. So certainly, it's, just a, it's basically CapCam is a much easier way for you to com- connect two computers together. But then the other interesting thing that you can do is once you have this connection, you can track the phone, the phone's you know, position as it moves across the display. And so you can use the phone kind of like a 2D um, controller, almost like a, a positional controller on top of the, uh, the, 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 the TV. Uh, and this lets you do a lot of really interesting stuff. Uh, there's a lot to go into, so I'll refer people to the website. Um, robertshawca slash research slash capcam for a bit more detail. Um, But the gist of it is that you can uh, use this to, uh, you know, implement games. You can use this to explore anatomical data. You can use this to, um, you know, transfer files back and forth. You can use this to do all sorts of things that uh, previously would have been much more cumbersome, but now it's much simpler. It's much easier to pair the computers, uh, the the phone and the computer together, the phone and the TV rather, uh, and, to um, have the two basically talk to each other without much friction. All right, Robert, we're um, going to go into commercial, and we'll be right back. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Are you looking to build, enhance, or revamp your current IT infrastructure? If so, that's where MallLobby.com comes in. Whether you need virtualization, systems administration, networking, storage, cybersecurity, cloud, disaster recovery, to even manage services, just submit your project details via email to broadcast at MallLobby.com so we know this opportunity is from one of our listeners. For your IT consulting, staffing, and architectural needs, rely on MallLobby.com. 
Incorporated. Visit online at mallobby.com. Higher education faces lots of changes. If you are a student, educator, or in the workforce, you'll want to tune into Big Beacon Radio, transforming higher education. Your host, Dave Goldberg, and his guests will explore the innovations that higher education adopts as it reinvents itself. The world of higher education is constantly changing. Stay on top and stay ahead of the rest. Big Beacon Radio, transforming higher education. Listen Mondays at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel. We all hear about information security, identity, and privacy threats. The more technology becomes part of our lives, with more data created to provide insights about our lives, the more concerned we need to be. That's why it's important to tune in to Data Security and Privacy with the Privacy Professor. Host Rebecca Harold is an internationally recognized expert in these areas. Rebecca and her guests will let you know how to keep your business and personal data safe. Listen live every Tuesday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are listening to This Week in IT. To reach the program, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. If you'd rather leave a question or comment via email, send it to broadcast at mallobby.com. Now back to This Week in IT. Uh, thanks for joining us. We are uh, here with our with our guest today, Robert Zhao. Um, Robert, just getting back into our conversation that we was uh, that we were having, just transitioning in. Uh, we we've discussed uh, some of the security measures that uh, that you worked on, some of the security platforms and, and things of that nature. We've discussed the the, the tournaments, the DEFCON, the hacking tournaments were very interesting. So just transition into more of uh, where you see technology and, and machine learning and everything of that nature going forward in the future. Um, what are some of like futuristic applications, environment, and, and things of that nature that you think uh, could be essential going forward? Well, certainly. Um, so let me just talk about security really quick. Um, uh, you know, the, the landscape of security, there's, there's more and more code being written every year, and there's uh, there's sort of so much more um, code that, that's been written that then can be actually inspected by humans. And so one of the big things that's going to be coming out, I think, uh, within the next, uh, you know, five, ten years, hopefully, is some sort of system by which code can be automatically inspected for security bugs. Uh, and how that actually works, you know, it could be a combination of machine learning, you know, um, sort of big data, right, uh, sort of huge amounts of computation to try to figure out where in a program or a piece of code there might be some sort of bug that enables an attacker to get in. Um, and doing so in a much wider sweep and a much wider sort of expanse than, than, than any human could uh, possibly require. And then that would free up people to be looking at the much more high value, the much more difficult, the much more interesting problems, rather than trying to find, you know, the hundreds of security bugs, you know, simple sort of obvious security bugs that just exist because nobody's had enough time to look at things. So that's, that's, you know, on the security end of things, I think it's tremendously exciting working on essentially automated security. Um, uh, so that's sort of one thing. And then on my sort of interaction research, I think it's tremendously interesting to be looking at things like augmented reality and virtual reality. I think those are actually really compelling platforms. Um, 
if you actually, you know, put on like a, a Microsoft HoloLens, for example, you'll really see there's a lot of, it's a lot of value actually in having sort of virtual environments overlaid onto your, onto your real world. You know, not trying to take away from the real world, but really try to add to it. I think that's augmented reality. And so I think um, I've been working a lot in the interaction space around that and trying to figure out what is the best way, the, the most powerful way for people to work with digital environments, virtual environments that are projected in augmented reality, and how are we going to do that in the future? So that's, that's an area that I, you know, I really want to work on in the, in, in the future. And uh, in terms of like machine learning and artificial intelligence, well, certainly we're seeing tons and tons of new applications come up, uh, but the real question is what value are they bringing to people and how can we harness that, that power, of, you know, this new power of machine learning and artificial intelligence to really help people make better use of their time to, make pe to help people really um, make better use of their computers. And to that extent, you know, I've actually been involved in a startup and a half sort of working on um, applying machine intelligence and artificial intelligence to, uh, you know, to interaction problems, to the problem of how, to, how computers can sense people more effectively. In terms of your bug so tracker, of stuff, what level of difficulty do you think you're going to run into versus a Windows app? versus the open source? Well, so certainly, uh, you know, uh, we, I work a lot in open source. Um, I think it's actually tremendously beneficial to have a community of, uh, of open source programmers who, you know, it's possible to sort of look at anyone's code, download anyone's code, then uh, apply it uh, and, uh, and, you know, take it sort of and remix it effectively. That's what open source is for. And, um, and so certainly I, I, I've worked a lot in open source and I've been open sourcing a lot of my work. Um, I think, uh, I, I, and, I, and of course, I hope that, you know, more code can be open sourced in the future, but um, the current thinking in machine learning, for example, is to, you know, keep things uh, out in the open and to make, make it possible for people to, in, a, in an academic sense, basically build on other people's work. That's, I think, the, the, the key nature of it. Um, what do you think from a technical standpoint? I think standpoint? that'll continue to expand in the future. Yeah. Right. From a technical standpoint, what do you think is going to happen now that Microsoft has purchased GitHub? <laughs> oh, that's an interesting question. Um, yeah, uh, I think uh, Microsoft actually has shown themselves to be, in the past, maybe not so not so responsible. But actually, nowadays, I think they've really, you know, turned over a new leaf. I think their new CEO actually is quite committed to open source, to trying to. Uh, you know, keep things, uh, you know, running smoothly. And I, I really have very high hopes. I think um, it'll be tremendous for GitHub to be uh, connected with the resources that Microsoft has. Um, I think Microsoft has internally committed themselves to using Git a lot and, and to actually um, build a lot more things out in the open. The, they're sort of competing now with Google in terms of, you know, trying to be mm -hmm. more mm -hmm. in the open about what they do. Yeah. Interesting. So is there any other projects yeah. you want to speak on? Well, uh, you know, I, I can only say stay tuned. Um, you know, I've always got lots of stuff on the go. I have a GitHub. Um, speaking of GitHubs, um, I, I can be reached at, uh, you know, um, github.com slash N-N-E-O, N-N-E-O. I know it's a mouthful. Um, or at Robert Shaw, or, uh, Robert X-I-A-O dot C-A. So that's my, my, that's my website. And so you can find all of my information, sort of recent projects, all the stuff that I'm working on on my website and uh, also follow my open source stuff at GitHub. Um, and uh, so, you know, certainly uh, welcome anyone to follow me, to, uh, to sort of, you know, see what I'm up to um, and to, you know, 
stay apprised of my adventures, I suppose. <laughs> well, as you uh, transition into your new role, or is there anything that you have in terms of uh, initiatives coming in the door for computer science? Well, uh, you know, so certainly uh, I'm very excited to be starting at the uh, University of British Columbia. Um, if anyone is thinking about going to that university and wants to work with me, you know, I'd, I'd be happy to have students. Um, but uh, you, you, even more than that, I really want to uh, be part of, uh, you know, building the next wave of computer science. Now that we've, we've, we've been building for the last 50 years towards, um, you know, the core algorithms, the, the operating system designs, the sort of... Um, you know, the bread and butter of computer science, but where does computer science go from here, right? Mm -hmm. there's, a, there's a big sea change happening in computer science and the, the very nature of what is academic research in computer science, what is sort of uh, the, the next big few problems to tackle. That's really what, where I want to focus my attention on, right? Now that we've solved the, the algorithmic problems, the design, the architecture problems, what do, we act, how, what do we solve next? You know, what is computer science's next contribution to the world going to be? And so that's what I hope I can do as an academic at, at you know, University of British Columbia. Sounds like a good course of action. Out of curiosity, are a lot of these grant funded? Yeah, um, certainly. Uh, I've, I've been I've been very uh, ha I've been very um, fortunate to be funded by NSERC, by Qualcomm, uh, which is a private, you know, private company. They also do grants. Uh, and up in Canada, you know, I will be funded by, uh, by the National Sciences and Engineering Council, um, as well as, uh, you know, local grants and uh, private funding where available. So certainly taking sort of, uh, you know, funding and, you know, all in service of being able to, you know, uh, have the best students and work on interesting problems and, you know, give them the resources that everyone needs, you know, to do good research. Good deal. Good deal. Well, Robert, this has been great. Um, it's been a delight to have you on the show and you provided us with a Thank lot of great information. Absolutely. And uh, you provided yeah. us with a great, great deal of information and in, uh, just where okay. we are currently and where we're transitioning to later on. Yeah. Pretty, pretty, pretty fast paced. I know it's hard to cover everything in, uh, in an hour, but thank you very much uh, for for bringing me on to the show. Um, you know, very, very happy to talk with you guys. Glad to have you. Yeah, glad to have you, man. Thank you. Again, this is This Week in IT with Andre Forte, Lang Maith, and our, with our guest today from British Columbia University, Robert Zell. Thanks for tuning in. Have a good weekend, everyone. Thank you for joining Lane Maith and Andre Forte on This Week in IT. Be sure to tune in again next Friday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time and 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have a great weekend.